in my first talk, in the first talk which I'm doing, we're going to be focusing upon healing in body. And I want us to think a little bit at first about this whole area of physical healing or healing of the body. You know, the whole idea of the church's healing ministry can produce a whole variety of responses. Last year, I met up with Richard, an old friend from university days whom I hadn't seen for about 30 years. He asked me what I did down here at Central Hall. And when I replied that I headed up healing ministry, his immediate response to me was to say, what's healing ministry? Now that isn't an unusual response from someone outside of the Christian church. It's happened to me before. So I explained to him as succinctly as I could without boring him to death what healing ministry in a Christian context was all about. But for those of us from within the Christian context, we need to ask ourselves the same question. What is healing ministry and what is it all about? From many years of experience of churches and congregations, my own feeling is that for the average person sitting in the pew, or these days it's more likely to be the comfy padded chair, when healing ministry is mentioned, most people immediately think of physical healing. The average churchgoer is, I believe, primarily about seeking God to put right the aches and pains, the illnesses and conditions, serious or otherwise, that beset us all from time to time. And of course, it's particularly about God healing in those situations where the doctors say to us, well, I'm sorry, but there isn't anything more that we can do. It's then in those moments that we expect God to step in if he hasn't stepped in before. And if God doesn't step in, then so often God gets the blame for inaction. So I'd venture to say that most people think about physical healing when they think about the church's healing ministry. But of course, we know that healing ministry can never just be about the physical. It isn't just about the body. Even when the complaints or the symptoms are very physical indeed. Even the structure of today's programme of talks to reflect the theme of healing the whole person is rather artificial and potentially misleading because it might suggest that human beings can be broken up into segments, body, mind and spirit, as if they were watertight compartments that have no bearing one on the other. And that patently isn't true. It's rather like the doctor focusing in on a particular condition without taking into account the well-being of the patient as a whole. 
I learned very early on this truth about not segregating people into segments of body, mind and spirit. When I first put my toe in the water with healing ministry, this happened over 30 years ago now when I was in my first circuit appointment in Norfolk. Along with people from one of my churches, we went down to Suffolk to the Pinmill Christian Healing Fellowship, an ecumenical organization practicing Christian healing in different churches and contexts because we wanted to learn more about what healing ministry was all about. And they taught us, because we were novices in all of this, they taught us how to pray for healing. And one of the things that they said was, never mind what people present you with. Most people, they said, will come and present you with a physical problem, with some pain or with some kind of bodily condition. Yes, pray for it, of course, but don't just pray for that. Pray also for healing in heart, mind and spirit as well. And the reason for saying that was twofold, really. Because what those coming for prayer might not discern is that what they think is their primary need for healing may actually not be the case at all. So simply to focus on physical pain in some part of the body might well ignore something that's going on deeper inside us as people, deep in our spirit, in our mind, in our heart, or things that are going on in our lives in general. Just as modern medicine seeks to adopt a holistic approach to patients, viewing them as people rather than as conditions, so too in Christian healing, we need to remember that healing isn't just about the absence of symptoms, but about enabling people to take a journey towards greater wholeness of life. After all, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. Life in all its fullness. Not just an absence of pain, not just a curing of the physical, of the bodily, but that you may have life in all its fullness. And the second reason is that often a physical problem may not have a physical source. It may have an emotional, psychological or spiritual source. And only to pray for the physical may ignore something that we need to take into account, which denies that interconnectedness of us as human beings into body, heart, mind and spirit. So an ulcer may well be the product of stress. And it's as important to pray for the stress as it is for the ulcer. And asthma may be a symptom of anxiety. And so it's important to pray for the anxiety as well as to pray for the asthma. We'll look at both of those points in a bit more detail shortly with reference to Jesus' healing ministry and the Gospels. But for the moment, I just want us to think about this question. Why do we tend to prioritise the physical 
over other aspects of our being? Well, I think there are three reasons. And the first is that we are more aware of the physical. You know, the body is a wonderful and an amazing instrument. And one of the things that the body does is to alert us to something that may be wrong with us. So the body acts like an alarm system, giving out physical pain or other kinds of symptoms like nausea or dizziness or headache. When there's something wrong with us, it's trying to say to us, look, there's something not right here. Will you do something about it? Or we can tend to have symptoms like tiredness or feeling lethargic or achy. And again, those are telltale signs to say, look, there's something perhaps serious here that you're not paying attention to and that you really need to look at. Or we may have a loss of appetite or weight or sleep or just a vague sense of feeling rather off it. So symptoms are often bodily. And the healing of the heart, the mind and the spirit is often signalled through the physical. The second reason I think that we focus on the physical is that other people become much more aware of the physical. I've been surprised in these last eight weeks when I've been recovering from this quad tendon operation, how people have been a lot more sympathetic and attentive to me than they normally are. You know, when I was at first going about on crutches like this, oh, I was getting, a, oh, what's the matter with you? What have you done? Poor thing. You know, how are you? And, you know, they wanted to hear the story and they wished me well. And, uh, you know, actually, sort of, since I don't need the crutches anymore, you know, people sort of think, oh, he's all right now then, isn't he? You know, <laughs> he's fully recovered, he's fully healed. Well, nearly, but not, not, not quite. But, you know, that has a downside because there are many people who don't have physical symptoms which shout out to other people, there is something wrong with this person, who often suffer in silence. I think it's tomorrow night on BBC One. There's a programme where the Duke of Cambridge is having conversation with various uh, men in sport, particularly football, to talk about mental health issues and about the way in which people, and often usually men, suffer in silence because they don't talk about their condition. How many people are really suffering in silence through depression, through feeling low, through things that are going on in their lives that are causing them great stress or anxiety, but they have nothing on the outside of their lives to show for it. They can't go around with a pair of crutches saying, look, I've got depression, look, I'm under stress, look, I'm suffering a nervous breakdown. And sometimes we're not really quite as sympathetic to people in that kind of category as perhaps we should be. We tend, as in other areas of life, to judge on the basis of outward appearances 
rather than on what lies beneath the surface. And the third reason I think that we focus more on the physical is because of the, the problem of pain that I referred to a moment ago, with the body as the uh, alarm system for our whole being. The trouble is, it's a bit like when your neighbor's house alarm goes off during the middle of the day when they're out at work. And you think, I wish somebody had come and just switched that alarm off that keeps going on and on and on. These days, I think they do switch off after a certain period of time. But the old ones didn't used to. They just used to ring all day until the batteries went out. And sometimes the body's like that, isn't it, with pain. You say, okay, you've alerted me. I know there's a problem here and I'm trying to do something about it. But the pain just goes on and on and on, and we can't switch it off. And that's another reason why I think we're so much drawn towards the physical. So then, what does the healing ministry of Jesus teach us about how we bring healing to the body, how we go about physical healing, but yet, at the same time, bringing healing to the whole person. I want to give three things, three ways in which we might learn from the ministry of Jesus and what we find in the Gospels. And I think the first thing is to look at the ways in which Jesus himself healed and how he particularly healed those who were suffering from what were overtly physical issues. What we tend to find through the Gospels is that when Jesus healed, he used a variety of techniques and means to bring healing about. Jesus often used his hands in healing, and the role of touch played an important part in his healing ministry without at the same time assuming the necessity that hands had to be used in every instance of healing. For example, Jesus used his hands to make paste, to put on a blind man's eyes in, Mark, in John chapter 9. He used his hands to help people to their feet once they had been healed. Think of Peter's mother-in-law and Jairus' daughter. He used his hands as a kind of sign language to communicate with the deaf-mute in Mark chapter 7 and the two blind men in Mark chapter 9. I was thinking about how do you use your hands as sign language to two blind men? And maybe he just sort of used his hands to touch their bodies. I don't know. In one case, Jesus himself was touched rather than Jesus touching the person in need of healing. Think of the healing of the woman with hemorrhages in Mark chapter 5 and of the way in which she just sidled up behind Jesus in the crowd and just reached out to touch the hem of his garment and didn't really want him to know that she was there at all. In some instances, no touch 
was used at all in bringing about healing. Think of the healing of the Roman centurion's servant who was not even there, present with Jesus at the time. Or the man at the pool of Beth Zathar. Or the paralyzed man who was let down through the roof in Capernaum. Although Jesus was asked to lay hands on people, such as in the case of the deaf mute in Mark 7 and by Jairus in the healing of his daughter, there are surprisingly only two recorded instances in the Gospels where in individual cases the word for laying on of hands, epithesis, is used in connection with healing. That's the blind man at Bethsaida in Mark chapter 8 and the woman bent double in Luke chapter 13. So what then can we learn from the practice of Jesus as far as the bodily or the physical is concerned in the process of healing? Well, the first thing we can learn is that Jesus uses no uniform pattern. There is no one-size-fits-all approach that was adopted by Jesus in either speech or in action. In other words, his approach to the healing tended to be tailored to the situation and to the person who was in need of healing. Touch and the laying on of hands is only part of the healing process. And although the sacramental plays a part, it isn't essential in the healing process that Jesus undertook. What, however, both Jesus and the New Testament fail to give us is any teaching on how to minister physically to others, whether it's through anointing with oil, the laying on of hands, whether we should place hands on the affected part of the body, on, on those who come with physical issues, but of course not only those with physical issues. What we need to do, I think, is to learn from the tradition that the church has passed on to us and, like Jesus, offer what we feel is appropriate in the circumstances and what might be best for those who come to us in need of healing. The second thing I think we can learn from Jesus and from the healing ministry recorded in the Gospels is that where Jesus brought physical healing into people's lives, he usually brought more than physical healing as well. And I think that's a very important point, that Jesus brought often more than physical healing. Because sometimes, I think because of the way in which we focus on physical healing, we tend to think that once the symptoms have gone or once the physical healing has taken place, job done. And it may not be that job is done. There may still be more healing that is needed in order to bring that person to wholeness, to give them life in all its fullness, which is what Jesus wanted to give. So let's take an example from a passage of Scripture. You might, if you've got your Bibles with you, you might want to turn to Mark chapter 1 and verses 40 to 45. Um, I'm not going to read the passage out. Um, 
because you can do that for yourselves. It's not a very long passage, and it's one that's probably familiar to most of you. It's the story of the healing or the cleansing of a man with leprosy who came to Jesus and asked for healing. He said to Jesus, if you choose, you can make me clean. Of course, that if you choose was a big thing because <laughs> not everyone would have wanted to do that. Not everyone would have wanted to get near, anywhere near this man with leprosy in order to try and heal him. But Jesus shows no such kind of reserve. And Jesus goes further and demonstrates to this man with leprosy what he feels. Mark tells us that Jesus was moved with pity. It's interesting that some manuscripts of this particular passage translate this word differently as anger. Not that Jesus was angry with the man who had leprosy, but Jesus was angry with the disease, or as Mark would see it, more importantly, with who lay behind the disease in the first place. In other words, here is a spiritual force at work, which Jesus, as Mark reports later in his gospel, will challenge. But Jesus shows every desire to cleanse this man of leprosy. And notice what Jesus does. He stretches out his hand and he touches him. Jesus didn't need to touch that man with leprosy because we know, we've already seen, that Jesus healed many people without touching them at all, even when they weren't there. So the touch is given not to bring healing for the leprosy, but to bring some other kind of healing. Jesus uses touch here, I believe, as a powerful sign, of a powerful sign of the need for him to connect with this man, to reach out, to embrace this man, if you like. This man who would have been shunned and rejected and banished by everybody else because of his awful condition. Those of you with long memories might think back to that iconic image of the 1980s of Diana, Princess of Wales, visiting patients suffering from HIV AIDS in hospital. When that condition was relatively new in this country, we weren't sure how to handle it, and people were very scared of it. And you may remember those images that went around the world where Diana sat at the bedside of an HIV AIDS sufferer and she reached out her hand and held the hand of this man with HIV AIDS. It was as if to say, you're not going to catch it by holding his hand. But there was an important sign there that there was a need, not just for this man, to be cured physically of his condition, 
but to be connected with, to be loved, to be embraced. It wasn't enough for Jesus simply to set this man free from leprosy and think, job done. Jesus saw that healing was incomplete unless others in that man's life, particularly his family and his community, were also prepared to connect with him in the same way, to touch him, to love him and to embrace him as well. And that's why Jesus directs the man to go and show himself to the priest. Only the priest could sign and issue the certificate that would declare to the world that the man had been completely cleansed of his leprosy. And without that certification of the physical cure, the man could not be readmitted back into his family or his community. And Jesus knew that it was only when that man was fully accepted socially and communally that his healing would be complete. Only then would healing be given to the whole person. Physical healing wasn't enough by itself. Healing had to go further to give healing to the whole person. And something very similar occurs a little bit later on in Mark, in chapter 5 and verses 25 to 34 if you want to turn to that passage, which I've already referred to because it's the healing of the woman with hemorrhages. She approaches Jesus in a very different way from the man with leprosy. He comes up to Jesus and says, if you choose, you can cleanse me. But this woman sidles up to Jesus without wanting to be noticed. She uses the crowd around her as a kind of invisibility cloak or a security blanket so that she is screened from being noticed. The crowd gives her the anonymity that she craves because like the man with leprosy, she too is an outcast because of her physical condition. As a constantly menstruating woman, she was regarded as unclean and banned by Jewish law from having contact with other people, which is why she couldn't be noticed in the crowd and she couldn't be seen to be touched by Jesus. It explains her fear and trembling at having her cover blown by Jesus. Shaking at the knees, she falls at Jesus' feet and confesses her condition. But instead of roundly condemning her, Jesus commends this woman for her faith. And Jesus goes on to say that this woman's faith is instrumental in her healing. The end of the story, Jesus declares, your faith has made you well. Or as some versions translate it, your faith has made you whole. And that, I think, again, is the more accurate rendition because it's about more than stopping this woman from years of menstruating. It's about enabling this woman to live life in all its fullness, to be readmitted back into her family, her community, to be accepted by others once again. And as with the man with leprosy, her healing isn't complete either until that kind of restoration has taken place. 
and she has been made whole. And the third and final thing that I think we can learn from Jesus and his ministry of healing is the way in which Jesus wasn't, as it were, taken in by physical symptoms. Jesus wasn't distracted by them. Jesus wasn't sort of going down the road of pursuing the physical symptoms against everything else. Jesus often saw beyond the physical symptoms to something that lay deeper within the emotional needs, which reveal the mental health issues, the broken relationships, the effects of spiritual influences upon the lives of people, which in turn brought about physical conditions. And there were many of these. Anxiety, stress, depression, paranoia, other mental health conditions, relationship issues. We can think of guilt, fear, resentment, jealousy, bitterness, all these things can produce physical effects, addictions or other forms of compulsive behavior, and the effects of malign spiritual influences through demonized activity. Let's just look at a final passage from Mark. It's in chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12. And it's the story of the paralyzed man let down through the roof. To this man's friends, and no doubt to all who were gathered around the house in Capernaum where Jesus was healing, the man's needs were patently obvious. He was, after all, lying on a stretcher, and he was paralysed. Now, if there was ever a man, you would say, who was in need of physical healing, it was this man. So what was everyone's expectation? As the man was lowered through the roof to the feet of Jesus, everybody would have been crowding in, waiting for Jesus to say to this man, my son, stand up. He might have grabbed his hand. Come on, get up, stand on your feet and walk. But Jesus didn't say that, or at least he didn't say that to begin with. Now, when Jesus sees the man, lying on the stretcher, carried by the four friends. And seeing, Mark tells us, the faith of these four friends, he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, what a strange thing to say to a paralyzed man. Son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus was able to see through the Holy Spirit that although that man's paralysis was a huge issue in his life, it wasn't the main issue that was causing his problems. Whether it was from guilt, shame, anger or deep resentment, the man needed setting free not only from a body that was keeping him as a prisoner on a stretcher, but the man needed his sins forgiving before any other kind of healing could take place. So, Jesus goes on to say to those who object to his forgiving the man's sins, which is easier, 
Which is easier, to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. He could have said that, stand up, take your mat and walk. And the man would have done that, probably. But he wouldn't have been healed. He wouldn't have had his sins forgiven. And maybe the paralysis in time might have returned. There's a story told by a Methodist minister of a former generation about a soldier in warfare who had killed three of the enemy in battle when he could easily have taken them captive. And this began to weigh upon the conscience of this soldier. And what he'd done played upon his mind more and more. He feared being found out for his war crime. But he convinced himself that if it, the incident was never talked about by him, then nobody would ever find out what had happened. But what transpired was that the more the man remained silent about this matter, the more he became unable to talk about other things too. Until he got to the point where he was completely dumb and couldn't speak any words whatsoever. And it was only when the incident actually came to light and the soldier was court-martialed that his speech returned and he was able to speak again. What these two stories both indicate is that interconnectedness between the physical and the emotional, the physical and the psychological, the physical and the spiritual. What these two stories show is that we cannot be healed in compartments, all separate from one another, and believe that if one bit has been healed, the rest of us is healed and okay too. They teach us that we are complex human beings who need not just healing or cure, but wholeness of body, heart, mind and spirit. It was this very wholeness of life that Jesus came to bring to us. So that physical healing for many of those Jesus encountered wasn't necessarily the only healing they needed. And the same is true of so many people today. It's perhaps true of you as well. And that's why we offer healing in body, mind and spirit, whatever people present to us. So then healing isn't just about the physical. It's about whatever we need to bring before God to allow his wholeness to come into our lives. But that's enough from me. I think we now need to turn to prayer and to seek to put into practice what I've been trying to say. We've got 15 minutes until we have our break at 11.30. And what I want to suggest that we do is that you use this time to pray for those around you. So perhaps just get into, in a moment, don't do it right now. <laughs> But perhaps just in a moment, if you would just turn 
to the people who are sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. Just form a little group of about two or three, even four, not, not too many. Because the idea is that we just share with each other some need that we discern within ourselves, that we have come with today, some need that we would like prayer for. And as you share that, then allow those who are around you, whom you may not know, and sometimes that can actually be an advantage rather than a disadvantage, to pray with you. And it may be that those who are around you praying with you may actually hear from God that there's something else you need prayer for than what you have presented. That there may be something other than what you feel is your primary need for prayer. But allow God to speak and allow those around you to pray with you. My friends, you're not going to visit a locum doctor who doesn't know anything about you. So you feel you've got to go through your whole medical history just in case he doesn't quite get what's wrong with you and he makes sure you've covered everything. God knows your medical history far better than any doctor on this earth. And those who are praying with you don't need to know it because then my, my guess is they're not doctors and they're not going to diagnose and they haven't got a prescription pad. So just let them pray. Just tell them in very brief terms, this is what I want prayer for. Because it's God who's going to heal and he knows and he will speak to those who pray and he will minister through those who pray. Is that all right? Is that a deal? Is that, can we do it like that? And can, I just, can you just be mindful of the time? Give yourselves about five minutes each and allow everybody to have a go. Don't so monopolise it that it gets to half 11 and say, oh, well, that was all about me, but sorry, you've not had time to be prayed for. Never mind, you know, go and have a cup of coffee now. Okay, so when it gets to half past 11, I'll tell you it's half past 11, so you can go and get your coffee break, okay? But if you want to carry on praying, you carry on praying, okay? Because we can do that because... Uh, it's at 12 o'clock when Jonathan's going to come and give us the next talk, which is about healing in mind. Let's just finish with a prayer and then you can pray with each other. Father, thank you for the ways in which Jesus taught and healed and prayed with people. And thank you for all that we can learn from his ministry about how we should exercise prayer ministry today. So help us now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, to be open to one another, to allow your Spirit to speak to us, to have the courage to overcome our vulnerabilities and to share with one another and to receive from you the healing we need. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.